Today we're picking up where we left off two weeks ago. Uh, last week we had a special speaker, Jim Harden from Compass Care Ministries. I hope you, I don't want to say enjoyed, I hope you were challenged by that. I, I don't think sermons should necessarily be enjoyed. Um, I think they should be challenging. I think they should be insightful. And, uh, and yes, at times even enjoying. But it was always, it is always good to hear Jim's heart and to hear about ministries that are proclaiming the Lord's Word, proclaiming the gospel, especially in specific ways, such as uh, ministering to mothers in a very difficult situation and rescuing those unborn children. I'm excited to get to know them better and to partner with their ministry in the years to come. Well, the series that we are in for this Christmas is called Unwrapping the Unexpected. And we're looking at the unexpected nature of Christmas. I think when you hear these stories over and over and over again, when you become familiar with the Christmas carols and the Christmas story, it can become easy, it can become trite, it can become so expected. Well, of course Mary had a child. Of course it was Emmanuel. Of course it was Jesus, God's Son. Of course these things happen. And we can get so conditioned to this being normal, that we miss the fact that the whole point of the Christmas story is that God was stepping in to do something that in so many ways nobody expected at all. And so my goal through this series is to help you to be struck anew with the unexpected nature of the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Pastor Al will be preaching next week and looking at another facet of that. But we began two weeks ago looking at Zechariah. Zechariah, who in the beginning of Luke, in fact, you can open up there, Luke chapter 1, we'll be back in that chapter again this morning. But this man, Zechariah, serving as a priest at the temple, had this unexpected encounter with an angel that came to say, though you are old and past childbearing years, though your wife is old and past childbearing years, you will have a son. And that son is John the Baptist, the forerunner to the Messiah. And we looked at Zechariah's response. Zechariah's response was one of skepticism. How can I know? Prove it to me so that I may accept this. And I hinted, and I think I did more than hint, that we would be looking then at Mary and the difference in her response. And so that's where we're picking up this morning, looking at Mary, someone who had something quite unexpected happened to her that changed her life forever and more so changed the lives, has the potential to change the lives of each and every one in the world. So we're going to pick up the story, the account of Mary in Luke chapter 1. We'll start in verses 26 through 38 at the unexpected news that Mary's, Mary receives. And I want to read the whole text as we walk through it. We'll take it in portions, but I want to make sure we set it before us, before we deal with it. So you can follow along in your Bibles. If you don't have one, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Feel free to use it. Feel free to take it if you need a Bible at home. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. 
you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. We learn some things about Mary, some very important things about Mary, some themes, in fact, that I think Luke is picking up on and will develop throughout his gospel, which goes beyond the sermon for today, but I want to at least point them out. First of all, we learn that Mary is from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, again, this is one of those things that we might think, of course, you know, baby parents were from Nazareth, went down to Bethlehem for the baby to be born. What we, I think, fail to realize is just how normal Nazareth was. And it is the normalcy of Nazareth that is so unexpected. This is a no-nothing, backwater, who-cares-about-it sort of town. It's completely unimportant. It was a farming village. It meant nothing in their world. Nobody would have thought, oh, of course, the parents are from Nazareth. They would have said, Nazareth? What? The angel goes to a young woman from an unknown town, an unknown woman. She is unimportant in so many ways, and it is exactly her unimportance that is so unexpected in this story. We hear, too, that she is a virgin. She has, throughout her life, maintained a righteous standard. Now, some of you might say, well, of course she did. That's the way they did it back then. Things are different today. Actually, things weren't all that different back then either. Mary was righteous. She upheld the Old Testament covenant. She was saving herself for her husband. She was righteous. She was a virgin. She was pledged to be married. That would mean in their world, it's a little different than today. It's more of a formal contract. It was a legally binding engagement. She would be this person's wife. She was bound to them. That's why they can talk about a breaking of an engagement in their mind was just like a divorce. They weren't married yet, but legally they were bound to each other. We also learn that she is marrying a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And that's important because to bring that aspect in it, a descendant of David would have brought to mind these Old Testament prophecies that a descendant of David would sit upon a throne. So this unimportant woman from an unimportant town is entering into a situation that is so much bigger than herself. And then we see in verse 26, God sends the angel Gabriel. This woman, who everybody would have looked at and thought, eh, nice girl, no big deal is purposefully thought of by God. And he sends an angel. And not just any angel. We talked about this with Zechariah. Gabriel is a big deal. He is one of the few named angels in all of Scripture. 
He is a powerful, mighty angel standing in the very presence of the Lord. This is an angel that appeared to the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament. A powerful prophecy. And this angel appears to this seemingly unimportant woman. And what news does he bring? He says, Greetings you who are highly favored. Highly favored. Mary is highly favored and the Lord is with her. Imagine for a moment how unexpected this would have been. In fact, it says Mary wondered at what kind of greeting this was. She's cool with the fact that an angel just appeared. That's fine. No big deal. I might be reading into it a little bit. But the greeting. You're saying what? About who? Me? You sure you got the right person? Highly favored? The Lord is with me? Now, some have taken this to mean that she should be worshipped. She is blessed by God. She is highly favored by God. Is the angel saying that Mary is so great that she should be worshipped? And the answer is absolutely not. And I think that misses the whole point of the text here. The point here is not the greatness of Mary. The point here is the greatness of God. And I want to prove that and show that from the text itself. First of all, that phrase there, you who are highly favored, the Greek word actually means greatly graced. Full of grace. Given a great amount of grace. Now, grace is an amazing thing. Because grace doesn't primarily point to the recipient, but to the giver. To say we have received grace is not to say, I'm so amazing that I have received grace. It's, man, I didn't deserve it. What to me? So when he says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Greek word there is the exact same Greek word as grace. You who are greatly graced. It's the same verse or same word in verse 30. It's the same word. It's grace. God is giving her grace. So what the angel is pointing out about the situation is the amazing amount of grace that God is bringing to this very normal, unexpected person. And in Scripture, I've been struck by the fact that whenever the emphasis is put on grace, there is also a corresponding emphasis put on the presence of God. The greatest gift of grace in Scripture is the presence of God. The greatest act of God giving grace is God being with his people. We see that in the Old Testament. We see it in Jesus. We see it in salvation. And we see it in eternity. It is grace that allows us to be in the presence of God. And when God gives grace, he first and foremost gives himself. Now think about what's going on here. You who are greatly graced. Why? What is the grace that is coming into this situation? It is not Mary's awesomeness, as awesome as she may be. It is the fact that God is showing up and doing something amazing in her life, that his presence is coming into this world through Mary. That's the grace that is so great in this situation. And the second part in verses 29 through 33 expands upon this news. She is going to be pregnant with the Messiah. She will become pregnant with a son and is to give him the name Jesus. And that name is so powerful. It means he saves. The very name of Jesus proclaims his mission here on earth. He saves. 
Did you know it's the same as the Old Testament Joshua? He saves. He saves. Jesus saves because he is God incarnate in the flesh, come to bear our sins, to die in our place. All of this is coming into this woman who was just trying to figure out how to plan her wedding and how all this was going to work out, probably even financially. How are we going to handle this? And and she's getting all of this unexpected news dumped on her. And it is profound and amazing to see what the news is and how she responds to it. But let's go on because the news isn't done there. In verse 32, the news continues. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. This is not just any baby. This is God's Son. Mary will give birth to the Son of God. Now again, I think it's easy to say, oh yeah, that's the Christmas story and it's so sweet and it's so beautiful. There's the manger and God's son is in it. We need to put ourselves in Mary's shoes. Think of how she would have received this news. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first became a father, I and frankly, the three other times I became a father, each and every time, the thoughts crossed my mind, how in the world am I going to do this? I'm not equipped for this whatsoever. Right? Amen. I hope you're saying that for you and not for me, but yes. <laughs> now, so I, I have to imagine that Mary had some of that. Of course, the fact that she was going to be pregnant was news to her. But you find out that you're going to be pregnant, you're, you are pregnant, that, that's a big deal. And you think, how am I going to handle this? You find out that the baby is God's son and magnify those feelings a million fold. How am I going to raise the son of God? What does that mean? How does that even work? What is that going to look like? And then he goes on, verse 32 to 33, he is the Messiah. The Messiah. He mentions the throne of David. He will reign over all of Israel. His kingdom will never end. This is the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. And here's Mary. Little, insignificant Mary from a little, insignificant town. And she is getting the greatest news that the world has ever heard. And rightfully so, she has a question. Zechariah, if you remember, had a question as well. Zechariah asked the angel in chapter 1, verse 18, how can I be sure of this? Zechariah's question was, prove it to me. You need to confirm to me that what you're saying is true. Mary's response, Mary's question is very different. Mary believes. She just doesn't understand how it can happen. She's not saying, prove it to me, although it's interesting because God will prove it to her. She is saying, help me to understand how this is even possible. Later on in chapter 1, verse 45, Elizabeth, her cousin, says to her, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. She declares that Mary believes. And it's a powerful demonstration of this response to the unexpected nature of this news. Mary believes. And so the angel answers her. How can this be? The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary, you got that? Clear? Clear now? You you totally understand how this is going to work. How do you describe Something that is so completely beyond human experience and human expectations. How do you describe the infinite God coming to be born 
in this normal girl. How do you describe that? This is a declaration of the Incarnation. That God would create, just as He created in the Garden of Eden, a new man and a new woman. He would create in Mary, using parts of Mary, parts of her DNA, He would build a new creation that would be His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, at this point, it's important to say, while the body that Christ came to was a new creation, Christ has always existed. Always. This this is the magnificent nature of the incarnation here. In John chapter 17, verse 5, Jesus declares, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. See, Jesus didn't come into existence in this moment. Jesus in the flesh started in this moment. Do you see the difference? Jesus always was. God the Son, second person of the Trinity. But here he is coming to be born of this normal woman in this normal situation. A very unusual thing that God is doing. He is no ordinary child. Mary didn't ask for confirmation, but God gives her the proof anyway. Look at verses 36 to 37. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Elizabeth is old. There's no other way around that. I don't know how to put it softer than that. She's way too old to have a baby. And yet the very fact that she is pregnant is not only a miracle for her that she is going to have a child, but it's a miracle for Mary. The angel is saying, I want you to know that this is true. And so I'm going to give you proof. Your cousin, who cannot have a child, is pregnant. And look at Mary's response. Oh, actually, look at what the the angel says before we move on. For no word from God will ever fail. That phrase really struck me as I was reading this. You know, Scripture talks about Mary pondering these things. And and sometimes I wonder, what, what parts did she ponder? What parts, when she was in certain circumstances, stuck out to her? I remember that the angel said this. And I just have to wonder, how often did that phrase, the angel said that no word from the Lord ever fails. When people were looking at her sideways and casting doubt on on her integrity, when she was seeing her son being ridiculed, I wonder how often that phrase came back to her, for no word from God will ever fail. And there's a lot of things in this story that you can't exactly name and claim it, okay? So so if if you're struggling to have children, you can't really name and claim this, well, you did it for Mary, you'll do it for me. It doesn't really work that way, okay? If you're having a baby and you think, I want my baby to be special, you can't really claim this chapter. You can't, well, see, my child's going to be God's son. It's not how it works. But that phrase there, that is universally applicable. No word from God will ever fail. And then you take that phrase, you take the promises to Mary, and then you go beyond that and you look at all the promises in Jesus Christ to those who believe and you remember that phrase. No word from God has ever failed. That is a promise for all of us. You know, when the world was going its own way, in many ways just doing the normal stuff, and the normal stuff of the world is rebellion against God. 
drifting away, wandering away, often running away as fast as we possibly can go. When the world was doing its own thing, God steps in and did the unexpected. And he showed up to Mary. And he had this unexpected conversation about an unexpected child. Think of what this meant for Mary. Mary was ready to be married to a guy from everything we know about Joseph and Scripture. He was a good guy. And I just wonder how, how excited was she? How had she started planning out what their home would look like? What their future were, was going to look like? How one day they would have children? How was all that in her head? And then this news is dropped on her. And suddenly everything changed. She had to know. I don't get the impression from Scripture that, that Mary is dumb. She's, she seems to be a very bright, intelligent girl. She had to know in this news there was a good chance that Joseph was going to leave her. She had to know. And we know from Matthew that that's exactly what Joseph intended to do. In his own righteousness, to save her and save himself, he was going to divorce her quietly, but God stepped in there too. But that's a sermon for another day. We go about our way. We do our own normal things so often. And then God steps in. When God steps in, sometimes it is amazing. It is an unforeseen blessing and it is phenomenal. Sometimes it's incredibly difficult. And your life is thrown upside down by something completely unexpected. More often than not, it is a mix of both. And in many ways, in in these huge extremes, that's what it was for Mary. Great joy, and yet profound difficulty. Look at Mary's response as she takes all of this in. Her response is amazing. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. She says, God, I might not get it. I might not completely understand this. I can't figure out how this is all going to work, but none of that matters. You lead, I follow. I am your servant. That is a profound statement of faith. And then we go to the confirmation. Look at verses 39 to 45. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. There are two levels of confirmation here. One that is obvious, one that I think is less obvious, but incredibly important. The first is the confirmation that her cousin, her elderly cousin, actually is pregnant. I love that. She hurried to see Elizabeth. Could you imagine? You ever have one of those experiences where the next day you wake up and you think, was that real? That really happened? Or, Or at the very least, Okay, but now what? What what do I do? Well, she had been given a confirmation and news that Elizabeth was pregnant. So she got up and she went to visit Elizabeth. I have got to see this. I want to feel, I want to see that confirmation that the Lord is providing. 
Now Elizabeth, her cousin, is pregnant with this baby, John the Baptist. Not God incarnate, but a blessing from God, this prophet that's being raised up to prepare the way for the Lord, prepare the way for Jesus to come. And so the first confirmation is that when Mary shows up, John the Baptist inside Elizabeth jumps. He moves. I don't know how or what or if he danced a jig. I'm not sure how it worked. But something happened. It was this recognition. And so on the surface of it, we have the baby inside Elizabeth recognizing in some way that this mother of Jesus, the Son of God, has come. And there's that recognition. But there's more going on. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Here we have a prophecy about John the Baptist. When Zechariah learns that he's going to have a son and he's struggling to, to discern and, and take this in and accept this information, in verse 15, he's told about this son. He says, He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And listen to this. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Understand what, what, put these stories together. John the Baptist, this baby growing inside his mother, has been indwelt with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And we talked about two weeks ago, I won't go into details, but this was completely foreign to anything they knew. The Holy Spirit would come on a king when it was time for the king to be a king. The Holy Spirit would come on a prophet when it was time for the prophet to be a prophet. The Holy Spirit never came on somebody from birth. That was completely unknown. And yet here, we are specifically told that this baby is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is in Elizabeth's stomach, growing. So understand what's going on here. When John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit, this baby in the womb, leaps in recognition of Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit testifying, yes, this is the Messiah. It's not just a baby leaping because somebody spoke. It is God himself giving testimony to God himself. This is all of God. God the Holy Spirit and John the Baptist is giving testimony that God the Son is in Mary. The confirmation that Mary gets is more than just a pregnant elderly cousin, as awesome as that is. God himself is testifying here. God is testifying that he is doing what only he can do. Mary didn't ask for confirmation. I love that part about this story. She didn't ask but God gives her confirmation anyway and such a profound, magnificent confirmation. This is a God-soaked, God-blessed situation where God is truly and very literally present in and through every aspect of this story. Now think, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 are the marching orders for Christians, the Great Commission. And in that great commission, as Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, remember the words that he said. Surely I am, what? With you. Mary here gets confirmation that the Lord is with her. 
And I assume that we are to interpret from that that this made a huge difference to her. We, from the very words of this baby that would grow up to be the Messiah, to die on the cross, to raise from the dead, we get a confirmation to, I am with you always. This is not just a Christmas story. It's your story. It's my story. If we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, He is with us always. And then we need to look at Mary's response. As happened with Zechariah, there was this beautiful song. You may have heard of it called the Magnificat. The Magnificat of Mary. That word Magnificat means to glorify. And it comes from the first phrase. Let me read the song. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. That word magnify, glorify is important. It's like if we think of a magnifying glass. A magnifying glass is nothing in and of itself. But it takes the rays of the sun and focuses it. Did you ever do this as a kid? Burn Cheerios, write your name on the ground, chase insects. No, don't do that. The magnifying glass doesn't make the sun great, right? The sun's great already. But when you hold that magnifying glass out and it focuses the, fun's, the sun's greatness, something amazing happens. Think about a microphone, Right? Think about a powerful, amazing singer. The microphone doesn't make the singer great. It just broadcasts it louder so that everybody can hear. Mary is not saying she is to be magnified. It's the exact opposite. Her song is pointing to the glory of God. She is just a magnifying glass, a microphone to proclaim the Lord's glory. And the rest of the song reveals and explains how this is to happen. And there is a powerful theme in this song, and that is that God works in unexpected ways. Do you know who the Gospel of Luke is written to? It's one of the few that we are specifically told who it is written to, and we're told that in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, the author says... In my previous, or in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Luke is the author of both the Gospel of Luke and the account of Acts. And he declares that he's writing to this guy named Theophilus. And scholars have taken that name and the way that he's proclaimed is most excellent. And they say this is probably a Greek or high-ranking Roman official. He is a big deal. And Luke is writing this gospel to him to say, I want you, most excellent Theophilus, to understand who Jesus is. 
Now, look at this song from the view of somebody who is powerful and a high-ranking, probably wealthy Roman official. And look at what she points out. Verse 48, God is mindful of the humble state of his servant. This nothing woman, unimportant from a no-name town, no real earthly claim to importance, is said to have the future generations calling her blessed. The mighty one has done great things for Mary. Poor, insignificant Mary, verse 49. One upon whom the Roman Empire would have looked and said, yeah, no big deal. And yet God sees things different. Verse 50, mercy extends to those who fear the Lord. Not those who are powerful and wealthy and can bribe other officials and gain influence, but to someone who simply says, God is God and I am not. And I will live in healthy fear and respect of who he is. Verse 52, God has brought down rulers, but lifts up the humble. Oh, Theophilus, your government is nothing. Oh, America, your government is nothing. God raises governments up. He tears them down according to his sovereign will and purpose. It's all about God. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent away the rich. Your status, most excellent Theophilus, means nothing to the Lord. Look at how he blesses Mary. Verses 54 to 55, he helped his servant Israel. This servant who at this time, this nation of Israel is oppressed by the Roman Empire. God is looking on them and serving them by sending his son. Mary's song proclaims that God works completely differently than the ways of our world. And those ways are completely unexpected. But in all of this, the main point is in verse 49. Holy is his name. Why does God work this way? Why does he choose Mary? Insignificant Mary? Why did he choose Elizabeth who couldn't have children? Why did he choose Abraham who couldn't have children? Why does God work the way he does? He does it all to display his glory, his holiness, so that nobody looks at this situation and says, wow, Mary's amazing. We are to look at the situation and say, holy is the Lord. He works in ways that are so foreign to us. It would be wrong to take something, to take this passage that displays the Lord's glory and use it to bring glory to Mary. This would be like going to the most amazing singer in the world and sitting through a concert, hearing the soaring highs and and the rich lows kind of voice that just brings tears to your eyes and joy to your heart. Just this otherworldly, beautiful voice. And you walk away and somebody says, wow, was that person a good singer? And you say, I don't know, but they had a really good microphone. (laughs) Nobody would do that. Friends, Mary's just the microphone here. And quite frankly, so are you. And so am I. And to be the microphone in the hand of the Lord God Almighty is a powerful place and a blessed place to be. But let's make sure that God gets the glory. Holy is the Lord. 
It's a theme throughout Luke, actually. That as great as this situation is with Mary, Mary has her faults as well. Later on in the Gospel, in verse 8, Mary tries to pull Jesus away from his ministry. In another place, in chapter 11, a woman stands up and says, Blessed is the woman who gave birth to you, speaking to Jesus. Blessed is your mother. And Jesus corrects her. He says, Blessed instead are those who hear the word of the Lord and keep it. The focus is to be on the Lord. Whether it's us as a church, us as individuals, or as we look at a character here from Scripture, Mary, the focus is to be on the Lord. But let's learn the lessons from Mary. That this is how we should respond to these unexpected movings of God. We need to look at Jesus and say, God is great. We need to look at our own salvation and say, God is great. We need to look at the blessings and the trials that God brings into our life and say, God is great. May He be glorified. Be a microphone and a magnifying glass for the glory of God. Mary, a great example of responding to the unexpected grace of God. We need to be humble. We need to have the mindset, who am I to receive this grace? I don't deserve it. We need to believe, even in spite of how amazing it is and how off the wall it might seem, that God loves you enough to send His Son to die on the cross in your place. That no matter what you've been through, God can save you. Our response needs to be, I believe. I trust. And finally, like Mary, we need to sing out. We need to proclaim. We need to have that praise overflow in our lives to proclaim the work and the mercy and the glory of our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I can't help but wonder when I read stories in Scripture, and I read about people like Mary and Joseph, and later on the apostles in the Gospels, when I read about the patriarchs in the Old Testament, I just I have to wonder, how would I have responded? How would we have responded? And then, Father, I'm challenged to think, how am I responding? How are we responding when we hear the gospel that you sent your son to be born in a manger, to die in our place and rise from the grave? How do we respond to that? Do we stand in skepticism and say, I won't accept it unless you prove it? Or do we respond to your grace in faith and say, yes, I believe? When you give us the immense task to take take the gospel into this world, this world that still is going about its way as if nothing has ever changed, doing what it wants to do in so many ways. And there we are to stand up and proclaim Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah and Savior of the world. And it's easy to say, I can't, I won't, it doesn't make sense. But may we, like Mary, say, yes, I am your servant. Do with me what you wish. Father, may we respond in faith to the unexpected but wonderful truth of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.